Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Tuesday broadcast of Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So happy that you're joining us today. Hope that your week is going well, and I'm praying for you. I pray for you every day. Thank you so much for listening to the broadcast. We are really excited about what we're talking about today, and that is the subject of how people change. We're talking about the power of the gospel to bring about the changes that we need to make in our lives. You know, when you think about the gospel, the gospel is the good news. It's the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul said, if the gospel is not true, then we are of most men miserable. You think about the gospel. It is the dunamis power of God. It is God bringing about a change in our lives. God making us alive who once were dead. God breathing into us a whole new life. We become new creations in Christ. The old is done away with. And behold, all has become new. Well, Paul is addressing the Galatian believers, and he discovers that very quickly into their walk of faith, they are substituting the true gospel for another gospel. And Paul says it's not really another gospel at all. It is the antithesis of the gospel. It is no gospel at all. It is a dead gospel that cannot bring about change. So Paul is addressing the Galatian believers in Galatians chapter 2. And we learned yesterday that as he is addressing them, he does it with gentleness and he does it with respect. You know, as you confront people, I hope that you've learned to do it with gentleness and with respect. You know, a wise person realizes that God has given them wisdom on how to control their tongue. As a matter of fact, one of the earmarks of a believer, I believe, is that they are able to use their tongue, that little three-inch member, a member that is so easy to get out of control. If we can control that tongue, we can be such an encouragement to other people. You know, I've discovered that people need more encouragement, more strokes than they need pokes. It is so easy to cut people down. It is so easy to hurt people with our words. I want to encourage you today. Spend this entire day speaking words of encouragement to those you come in contact with. Everybody needs a good word from time to time. As we look at the Apostle Paul dealing with the false gospel coming into the church, he does it with gentleness to those who are wrongly believing the false gospel. You know, he does it in such a way that he realizes that maybe they have been caught up into something. You know, I don't think that most people who know Christ willingly embrace false doctrine. I think sometimes they're just uninformed and uh, they haven't studied the scriptures well enough, and so they kind of get caught up. I hope and pray they have a teachable spirit so that they can hear the truth of the gospel, and that's the approach that Paul is taking. He goes to them in a very gentle way, and he shares with them that they were caught up into something because of peer pressure. The pressure of those around them caused them to say, if you're going to be a recipient of the gospel, you must be circumcised. So Paul is addressing this issue with gentleness and respect. Respect for the authority of God's Word, respect for those who are involved in the leadership of the church. We learned also that Paul says God doesn't show favoritism. God is a God that cannot show favoritism because it is inconsistent with His character. We also learned that Paul understood that favoritism goes contrary to the values that God holds. And then we looked at the book of James yesterday, and we realized that God doesn't show favoritism, and that when we show favoritism, we are actually involved in sin. 
But there's a third thing that we look at when it comes to this matter of grit and determination, when it comes to the matter of changing. And we must make changes with integrity. And integrity in all of my responsibilities. Where Galatians chapter 2, verse number 11, when Cephas, that is Peter, came to Antioch, Paul says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, and I love how Paul is doing this. He's, he's addressing something that must be addressed. He's not pretending there's no problems here. He's not whitewashing this situation. He's saying, we got to deal with this issue. There is false doctrine being taught, and it must be confronted. So, so Paul says in verse number 12, that before certain men came from James, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, those who came with James, when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. In other words, when the Jews came in, all of a sudden, Peter, who used to fellowship and hang out with the Gentiles who were not circumcised, all of a sudden he starts withdrawing himself from those who were uncircumcised. Verse number 13, it says the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Now, now we can see the domino effect that is taking place. Because somebody like Cephas or Peter was being led astray, it, it impacted other people. Did you know that you have an influence over other people? You should stand for sound doctrine so that you can be a blessing, so you can become that pillar of truth within your congregation. You know, one of my responsibilities as a pastor is to feed the sheep. One of my responsibilities of a pastor is also to protect the sheep from false doctrine. And this is exactly what Paul is doing. Now, this is not something I'm sure that Paul really looked forward to addressing this matter, but he realized that the integrity of the gospel must be defended. And so Paul says, as I look at what is happening here, I see that you are acting in a way that is not in congruence with the truth of the gospel. So what does Paul do? He confronts Cephas in front of them all. Uh, we learned in the beginning of our lesson here uh, that Peter uh, and, and Paul had a meeting privately, but now it's coming into a public time where he's going to address Cephas in front of them all. And he says, now, Peter... You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Paul is just putting it right out there. He says, you know, Peter, you're a Jew, uh, and yet you're acting like a Gentile and not like a Jew, and then you're forcing Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. Uh, these are customs, they are not part of the gospel. If then, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I have destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. Peter is being confronted with the inconsistency in his life. He's acting one way when he's around the Jews. He's acting another way when he's around the Gentiles. Now, as I think about inconsistencies in our life, Dealing with inconsistencies in our lives really is a lifetime process. 
Don't you wish dealing with COVID was really cut and dry? Uh, Dealing with all that we're dealing with right now? Don't you wish that dealing with your in-laws was cut and dry? Uh, Don't you wish that dealing with your spouse and your kids was cut and dry? No question marks, just a period, right? No ifs, ands, or buts about it. As we look at how we can live with integrity in all of our responsibility, we must eradicate hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is the practice of engaging in the same behavior or activity for which one criticizes another or the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. In other words, I am proclaiming to live one way, but my lifestyle is contrary to what I'm claiming to live. Now, I think this is so important that we as followers of Christ stand for the truth and stand for the truth without hypocrisy. For example, it is not hypocritical for followers of Christ to say that we believe that marriage is one man, one woman for one lifetime. We become hypocritical in that statement if we do not live what we proclaim. And this is where we struggle as followers of Christ because sometimes we make these proclamations that we're not able to live up under. When it comes to the matter of hypocrisy, it is saying one thing and living another thing. Now, we're not talking about trying to live in perfection because none of us will be able to live in perfection. Those who are living non-hypocritical lives are those whose lives are consistent with what they say. Uh, There's no contrary way of living versus what I'm speaking. When you think about hypocrisy, engaging in a behavior or activity for which one criticizes another, that is what hypocrisy is. True worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. You say, well, how can I eradicate hypocrisy in my life? I think for the believer in Christ, true worshiping, worshiping in spirit and in truth, helps to eradicate hypocrisy in our lives. Let's look at what Paul said to the Ephesian believers that hopefully give us a little insight into how we can live lives without hypocrisy. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning of verse number 15. Paul says, be careful how you live. In other words, walk your life with precision. Before you make a statement, make sure that you're willing to live up under that statement. He says, don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. In other words, have some wisdom as how you are conducting your life. Everybody needs wisdom. Wisdom is not just knowledge. Too many people think, well, I've got a head full of knowledge, so I must be a wise person. Wisdom is not solely based on knowledge. Wisdom is looking at life from God's perspective, taking God's word and applying it to my life. So Paul continues, don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise, making the most of every opportunity in these evil days. In other words, because we're living in perilous times, in evil times, we must take advantage of the opportunities that are placed before us. We don't have time to deal with everything that comes before us, but we must pick the things that are most wise for us to follow through. Don't act, verse number 17, thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. 
In other words, I'm going to seek God's face. I'm going to seek God's word. I'm going to live my life in such a manner that it is going to be a wise person. And then Paul continues on verse number 18. And he throws something in here that doesn't seem like it fits in with what he's talking about. He says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. In other words, you want to live a life of hypocrisy, go ahead and drink wine. That'll ruin your life. You talk about a person who is the biggest hypocrite, right? Uh, The biggest hypocrite, one who is driven by uh, some kind of a substance, right? Uh, Have you ever noticed people that are intoxicated, they become quite religious, don't they? Uh, They become very spiritual, uh, but it's not really them speaking, it's that alcohol that is speaking through them. It is filled with hypocrisy, but they don't see it because they are drunk with wine. That wine is speaking on their behalf. Instead, Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And then he says, when that happens, the Spirit is controlling your life. Just as the alcoholic, when he's drinking, the alcohol is controlling his life. Paul says, when we are constantly being filled by the Holy Spirit, we are being driven by the Holy Spirit, and this is what happens. We are singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts, and you give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here we discover that a person who is filled with the Spirit is filled with songs of praise, hymns and spiritual songs. They are filled with having music in their hearts, singing unto the Lord. When you go to church on Sunday, do you worship when they sing? Uh, Do you participate? Do you give thanks for everything? If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you can't help but sing. And it doesn't matter that you don't have the greatest voice in the world. The Bible says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Now, most people would probably stop right there, but I want to look at the next verse that Paul talks about. When we think about living a life that is non-hypocritical, we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music in your hearts unto the Lord, giving thanks in everything. Furthermore, you submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, I am showing respect to others. I am lowering myself. Uh, The hypocrite sets himself above somebody else. But those who are spirit-driven understand they are to have mutual reverence one for another out of reverence for Christ. And then we go to chapter number six, and it talks about husbands and wives relationships. And uh, we'll talk about that at another time. But I want you to know something today. You can live a life without hypocrisy. You may look at your life and say, man, I've got some shortcomings in my life. I've got some things that I want to I change in my life. And, and God will bring about those changes in your life. I've discovered that God can even take the things that are kind of shortcomings in my life, things that I'm not really proud of. He can take those ashes of disaster and turn them into roses of success. There was a film many years ago called My Beautiful Stutterer. Viewers were introduced to Kate the Tarek. Kate is a young lady who learned to live honestly, if not defiantly, with a stutter. She refuses to refer to her way of speaking as an impediment. Instead, she has learned to accept 
who she is. In the film, Kate is giving a tour of her room. She has notes that are written to herself, posted all around her room, reminding her, her of her uniqueness and of her very special value. But she spends most of her tour on a poem written by Aaron Schick. The bar owl communicates with mates and offspring using a complex system of hissing, screeching, squawking, and facial muscle manipulation. Survival is dependent upon creating a voice so unique it can be recognized by loved ones in an instant. I argue the cause of my stutter is not neurologic. It's got to be something deeper, something desperate to be remembered. This is not a speech impediment, she says. My voice is an instrument. My stutterer, it's great symphony. My speech is composed by God. Now, I hope that encourages you today. Maybe you're feeling a little bit down about yourself. You're looking at your life. You say, well, I don't stutter. That's my problem. But I look at my life, and it seems like everything I put my hands to just ends in disaster, whether it be relationships, whether it be work. It doesn't seem to matter. I seem to make a mess of everything. Oh, I want you to know that God has created you, and He understands the mess you find yourself in. And He wants to take that mess, and He wants to turn it into a message. He wants to turn it around. He wants you to be filled with integrity, realizing that God made you in such a way that even though you feel like you are very weak, He wants to take that and turn that into a strength. You know, Navy ships are tested, and they are tested to see if they have integrity of the hull. Naval officers often refer to the integrity of the hull. When a submarine comes out of dry dock, the very first exercise is called a sea trial, which takes the submarine to a depth in the ocean to test the integrity of the hull. Naval personnel sometimes call this phrase the shakedown cruise because it measures a vessel's performance and a general seaworthiness of that vessel. If integrity is compromised in any way, such as a poor weld, the stress from that increased pressure of deep water will inevitably find that weakness. Maybe God has allowed pressure in your life to reveal weakness. Paul put it this way, when I am weak, he is strong. When we acknowledge our weaknesses and we give them over to him, he actually takes our areas of weakness and he turns them into a strength. That's how God brings about changes in our lives. Whenever we're in denial about the changes that we need, we are in denial of the reality of having those changes made. Well, there's one final thing that we must check into. If we're going to have grit, if we're going to be gentle and respectful and filled with integrity, we must, letter T, trust God for everything. Verse number 15, going back to Galatians chapter 2. Paul says, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, but because of the works of the law, no man will be justified. Now, this is a significant change. You know, I don't know if you were taught this way, but I was taught at a very young age 
that if it's to be, it's going to be up to me. Now, today, I think we're even taught something different. And I think today we're kind of taught, well, if it's to be, then the government somehow is going to provide or take care of us. And I want you to know that's not going to work. Paul is dealing with a group who believes that somehow they have been able to work and gain their own salvation. They feel that they have been made right with God because of the works of the law. Paul understood this completely. And why did he understand it so completely? Because prior to his conversion, this was what Paul was banking on for God's approval. As a matter of fact, he taught this for decades prior to coming to Christ. Paul taught that you must work hard to gain the approval of God. But after Paul was struck by blindness in Acts chapter 9, we discover that he decided that he must trust God in and for everything. You know, change is very hard because we are hardwired to do things a certain way. Paul says, you know, from the day that we Jews were born, we were instructed in the law. We were taught and we interpreted the law. We were taught to obey the law. And when we obeyed the law, we felt like we somehow lived and earned our salvation. The law was our everything. However, salvation changed everything. Now trusting God completely for everything takes some time because old habits die hard. According to a 2019 American Psychological Association survey, these are the top 10 stressors for Generation Z. Uh, Generation Z are roughly those who are between 18 and 24. Their major stressors, 78% money, 65% health, 64% work, 56% family, 55% personal safety, 55% relationships, 52% are worried about housing costs, 51% are worried about job stability, 44% are worried about the economy. 38% are worried about discrimination. And as we look at all of these things on this list, from health to work to family to personal relationships to housing costs to job stability to the economy to discrimination, none of these things provide security and stability. Our security is only found in Christ. Now, why is it so difficult to trust God for everything? Right now, we're seeing gas shortages, and and we're seeing health crises, and and inflation, and corruption. How can we maintain our sanity when things are spiraling out of control? In his book, If God is Good, Faith in the Midst of Suffering and Evil, author Randy Alcorn recalls when his friend and writer Ethel Herr had a double mastectomy. Two months later, doctors discovered that the cancer had spread. One of her friends was shocked and was fumbling for words, asked her, and and how do you feel about God now? Reflecting on that moment and that question as it was opposed to her, she said, As I sought to explain what has happened in my spirit, it all became clearer to me. God has been preparing me for this very moment. He has undergirded me in ways that I never knew before. He has made himself increasingly real and precious to me. He has given to me joy as I've never known before. And I'll need to work at it. It just comes, even amidst the tears. He has taught me that no matter how good my genes are or how well I take care of my diet and myself, 
He will lead me on whatever journey he chooses, and he will never leave me for a moment on that journey. He has planned it in such a way that I take it step by step. He's prepared for me that moment when the doctors drop that last shoe. God is good. No matter what the diagnosis or the prognosis or the fearfulness or the uncertainty of having neither, the key to knowing God is God is simply knowing Him. You know, there's one other thing that I think we can gain, and that is finding our stability in Christ. Uh, This whole message comes down to Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. For though the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I live in the body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for it is in righteousness, if it could be granted by the law, Christ died for nothing. Uh, So here's the bottom line. Our stability of our faith is found in Christ and in Christ alone. That's where our strength comes from. That's where our stability comes from, in Christ alone. I hope today that you have learned to trust Him, and I know that this is an ongoing process. I think the longer you trust Him, the more capable you are of trusting Him. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall make your path straight. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.